as we continue our series on the weight of our words. The weight of our words. In Ephesians chapter 4 tonight, we're going to look at one verse, verse number 29. I'll give you a few moments to turn there and give you a little background of what we've been doing. We've been looking at how important our words are and how needed it is for in our country today to have a Christian or a Christ-like conversation. I expect the world to act like the world, and I expect the lost to act like the lost, but I believe God expects his people to act like his people and for his people to have a Christ-like conversation. That means using our words to the glory of God, but oftentimes we see the people of God missing out on the great opportunity that we have to speak and to point others to Christ uh, and to Christ-likeness through our words. And so tonight we're going to continue this series on the weight of our words. And we're going to look at probably one of the most important, or at least to me, it's one of the most important things we must look at uh, when deciding what to say or what not to say and when to say it. So Ephesians 4, look down. Verse number 29, uh, and what we're seeing in Ephesians chapter 4, we're seeing really a grocery list of the old man and the new man and who God would have us to be. And it's neat that he, in verse number 29, he gives us something concerning our conversation. So look down, if you will, verse 29. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace Unto the hearers. Now I'm going to read that one more time. I want you to pay close attention at the progression of events that is given in verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Unto the hearers. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you bless it tonight as it goes out. Let us, Lord, allow it to do what you're sending it to do in our life, particularly in this matter of our conversation. Use us and our words to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at biblical evidence the last two or three times we looked at this subject of the enormous potential that our tongue has. Uh, The Bible really begins to outline it clearly for us that there is life and death and the power of the tongue. And oftentimes the devil takes advantage of that and uses it for his glory and for his cause more than God has opportunity to use it for his cause. And so tonight, two weeks ago, we looked at how our words work for us and our words are either going to work for us and for the cause of Christ or our words are going to work against us against the cause of Christ and then the last time we looked in this subject we looked at the source of our words realizing that Matthew 12:34 the bible says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks and so if someone has a foul mouth problem it's because they have a foul heart problem but tonight we're going to look at something very very important As we look at this checklist, I want you to notice the things we've discussed thus far as well as tonight are things that we must consider prior to speaking. I think we've all realized before that once you say words, it's hard to reel them back in. Uh, And oftentimes, the biggest regrets we have is times that we spoke when we should not have spoken. Several years ago, I was with a pastor friend. My wife and I were in the car with him and his wife, and we were going down the road. And uh, let me go ahead and preface this by saying I knew what he was getting at. And he says, you know, my wife is beautiful. And I said, amen, brother, amen. I think it's good for you to think your wife is beautiful. Amen, brother Michael. 
Amen. Amen. Brother Michael, amen that. You could not see that, but he amen that. And that's why he's still breathing at the moment. Uh, but the pastor says, I, I love my wife, and I think my wife's beautiful. I'm thinking, amen. And he should have just stopped right there. But he goes on to say, I know my wife is not what the world would call beautiful. And I'm thinking, you ought to just stop. You ought to just stop right there. And he just kept on talking and digging the hole deeper and deeper. Now, thankfully, he has a wonderful wife who was very gracious and understood what he was getting at. But sometimes we've got to know what to say and when to say it. And sometimes we've just got to know when not to say something. And we read the Word of God. God's Word gives us so many things that will help us prior to speaking. Let me refresh you on a few verses tonight. Proverbs 15, 28. The Bible says, The righteous man studieth to answer. Notice that. That's prior. The righteous man studieth to answer. That means before he speaks or opens his mouth, he gives those words some thought. Psalms 141.3, the Bible tells, tells us to set a watch or ask God to set a watch over our mouth. Now, why, why do we have a watch? We have a watch because he is securing before the trouble comes. And if we'll just heed the words in the word of God, we will not regret saying some of the things or not saying things that we don't need to. I read a quote today that really sums this up. It says, it's better to sleep on what you plan to do than to be kept awake by what you've done. And how many times in my life have I been kept up at night because of things that I said that I should not have said? So therefore, we must have a pre-flight checklist, if you will, of what we should say and how we should say it. And then the one we're going to look at tonight is why we feel the need to say the things we feel the need to say. I think I've told this story here before, but I think it bears mentioning again. Uh, the gentleman that flew my wife in, that I, I met her the, for the first time, July of 2004, I got to fly with him later in the same helicopter that he delivered my wife to me in. And I remember sitting with him in the helicopter, and he pulled something out from under the seat, and it was this little placard with uh, elastic on it, and he wrapped it around his leg and snapped that little placard onto the top of his leg. And what I noticed was there was all kinds of writing on that placard. And I says, well, what is that? He said, that's my pre-flight checklist. Now, he's been flying airplanes, I don't know, for 30 or more years, flew commercially for Northwest, and I'm thinking to myself, after 30 years, you still need a pre-flight checklist. I begin to question whether or not I should go flying with him in the first place. If you're having to read the instruction manual uh, this late in the game, maybe I should just get out and let you fly this thing on your own. He says, no, he says, I go over this every time I fly, and believe it or not, he's never crashed, never crashed. And in case you're wondering, no, he didn't crash while I was in there either. Now, here's the importance of that. No matter how long he's been flying that, and no matter how many times he has flown it, and probably could fly it from memory, it was not worth the risk to him to get up there in the air four or 5,000 feet and to get it wrong. And so before he took off, he always had a pre-flight checklist, and that's what the Word of God is for the child of God. It's not a pre-flight checklist, it's a pre-life checklist. And if we'll just go over that checklist, particularly in the way that we speak prior to speaking, I assure a lot of the things that we say would not keep us up late at night. So tonight, your Christian witness, I want to assure you, is not worth the risk of careless words. Your Christian witness is not worth the risk of careless words. And so we need to know what God's word has to say and why we are saying the things we are saying. And that's the third thing in this series we're going to look at tonight, the why of your words. 
the why of your words. We've looked at the work of your words, the source of your words, and tonight we're going to look at the why of your words, and we're going to try to discern the motivation of your mouth, why you felt compelled to say the things that we say. Now, I'm going to tell you this right off the bat before we jump into this. Discerning motivation is very difficult. Because you've got to have spiritual integrity enough to be willing to realize that the reason you say you are going to say something is really not the reason you want to say something. We see this oftentimes in politics. Uh, We'll have a politician come out and they're going to build this big, beautiful bridge connecting two cities together. And what a great thought that is. They need a new bridge. You know, the concrete's getting old and we're going to build a new one. And you're thinking, man, I appreciate them looking out for me. And then you find out that they awarded the contract to their brother-in-law concrete company you realize that the motivation was not as pure as they were portraying it to be and oftentimes if you're not careful we'll have a very thin layer of principle on the top but below that thin layer of principle we'll see a lot of the driving force was personal and oftentimes we're not careful we'll be using our words for a personal use rather than the principal uses of the Word of God. So tonight, we're going to jump into this thought of the why of our words, and we're going to look at why we should and shouldn't speak at different times. Look at verse 29. The Bible says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, I want you to see two things in that verse right quick. You're going to see mainly two motivations of the tongue. The first one is it's corrupting. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. It says, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And so our tongue has that ability to corrupt or our tongue has the ability to edify. It's similar to Proverbs 18.21 when the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, here's what we've got to see. Notice it says death and life or corrupting or edifying. It's not as that, it doesn't have that gray area that we like to dwell in. It's one or the other. So tonight we've got to see our words will accomplish. What our words will accomplish is decided by our motivation. Now I'm going to give you two questions to ask tonight. There's two questions you need to ask before you speak that will help you speak to the honor and the glory of God. So let's look at the first one. The Bible says, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Now, what is edifying tonight? We're just going to take it slow. I'm going to walk you through this. I'm not going to holler and scream at you. We need to see this tonight. God wants to give us a pre-flight checklist before we open our mouth because of the great power that's within the tongue. There's death and life, corrupting or edifying. So what are some questions we should ask? I'm going to give you two tonight before we speak. Well, the Bible says our language and our speech should be edifying. Edifying means the act of building up or the act of constructing. And the first question tonight that we need to ask before we speak, is it constructive communication? Is it constructive communication? I'll simplify it for you just a little bit. We should be asking, is what I'm saying going to better them or is it going to batter them? I can assure you I have done both. I have spoken words to people at times that have encouraged them that have made their day. I enjoy encouraging people. Matter of fact, I sent a text to someone just a few moments ago that the Lord put on my heart. And I texted them to let them know, I want you to know you crossed my mind today. And uh, so I stopped and prayed for you. I like encouraging people. I believe that text that I sent them was an encouraging or constructive text. But I also have to confess to you tonight that not only can I better people by my words, but I have battered people by my words before. 
Every once in a while, pride will well up in my heart just like it wells up in your heart. Uh, And rather than speak words that are constructive, we speak words that are destructive. And I want you to know, destructive words are not glorifying to God. Give you an example. Proverbs 12, 18, the Bible says, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Oh, I wish I could say that I have never spoken words before or posted things or commented on things before that were not piercing like a sword. But there have been times I have used my words to be destructive rather than constructive. But listen to the last part of verse number 18. The Bible says, but the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise is health. That is something good. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 4, that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Notice when it is a constructive conversation, it gives health and it gives life. And so before we open our mouth, before we let words fly out of our mouth, we should ask the question, is it constructive communication? And as a child of God, verse 29 is telling us our motivation to be, should be to edify spiritually people in life and in their spiritual health. I am here to build up, not here to tear down. I want to show you an example of that tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Turn back to your left, 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and I want you to see the Apostle Paul illustrate this for us in verse number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look down to verse uh, number 14. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, a very young church who's got some problems, and he's trying to help them. And when you read the context of verse 1 through verse number 13, you're going to find out that he was saying some things that were quite pointed. Now, you can say pointed things, but understand, it's the motivation behind the pointed things you say. It's going to decide whether or not it's constructive or destructive. I'll give you an example. Look up here, if we could, to, uh, to verse number 6 in chapter, chapter 4. And these things, brethren, have I in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. There was a problem of being a respecter of persons, and Paul's addressing that. He says, don't think of men above that which is written. The Bible says that no one of you be puffed up or, or uh, puffed up for one against the other. There was division there. Verse 7, for who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou, thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now these are fairly pointed words. He says you're bickering back and forth on who is something and who is not, and you're something and you're bigger than they are. He says now ye are full. Now ye are rich. Ye have reigned as kings with, without us, and I would to God ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. Now here's what he's saying. He says you have benefits and you have blessings. Go, he goes on to verse number 9 to say, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He goes on to say that we are weak and you are comfortable. He's going on to say just how blessed they are. And he says here we are suffering. We both hunger and thirst in verse number 11. And he goes on after he says all of these things that probably made them feel about that tall. Uh, There have been many times in my life I've talked to elder pastors and they've been loving and caring enough to be honest with me and say things that I would not like. And after they have dressed me down just a little bit, I felt about that tall. But notice what Paul says Down in verse number 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. 
Can I tell you what Paul is showing them there? Paul says, I, I know that what I'm saying may be a little uncomfortable and painful for you to say, here's where you're at and here's what you're doing and here's where we are at. But Paul says, I want you to know I'm writing these things to warn you not to shame you. We're seeing the motivation of Paul. Paul's motivation was not to tear them down and destroy them. Oftentimes, unfortunately, I've been around some in ministry, older pastors sometimes, who like to tear down the younger guys. I think that's probably in all of us, that desire to do that. But boy, what a blessing it is to run across an elder pastor or an elder, uh, someone who's been in ministry for a long time, and they take the time to invest in you in your life. What are they doing? They're speaking words that are constructive, not words that are destructive. You look down at verse 15, the Apostle Paul even clarifies so much the more what constructive talk uh, and the motivation comes from. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Notice Paul says, I'm speaking to you as a father, a spiritual father. He's begotten them in the faith. And notice his motivation was the motivation of a father. I'm a dad. We just celebrated Father's Day. And I don't know any of the dads in our church. I, I don't know that I know any dads really, but I'm sure there's some out there who do not want the good of their child. They desire to build them up and to strengthen them and to be constructive in their teaching. And Paul says, even though those words that I spoke to you may have been painful, and even though they may have been uncomfortable, I want you to know they're coming from the motivation of the heart of a spiritual father. He's trying to build them up. And in order for us to have a constructive conversation, it's got to be from the heart of one who cares for those that we're speaking to. And I believe tonight therein lies the problem. Oftentimes, we speak words without care for those that are hearing them. Look at the end back in Ephesians 4, verse number 29. The Bible says that it may minister grace unto the hearers. A constructive communication is one that is taking into consideration the ones who are hearing the words that we're saying. I'm going to tell myself here, and I hope you'll amen me on this and, and, and stand in front of the firing squad with me on this, but oftentimes, Brother Michael, I hate to say it, but I say things for the benefit of me. I know you may not agree with me, and I'm sure you don't agree with me on this, but sometimes I just like to hear myself talk. I say things for the benefit of me. But notice the Bible says in verse 29 in Ephesians 4 that our conversations should be an edifying, constructive conversation. And notice that our concern is at the end of verse 29. Our concern should be for the hearers. We should not be speaking to hear ourselves, but we should be investing and constructing in the lives of those who hear what we have to say. But here's the motivation behind that. We've got to care more about them than we care about hearing ourselves speak. That's why the Bible says that we are edifying those that are hearing. I'll give you an example, John chapter 4. The woman at the well. If there was ever anybody that we read about in Scripture who could have been a lightning rod for destructive conversation. It was the woman at the well. The Bible tells us about who she was and her reputation and the things that she had done. And yet Christ comes to her and strikes up a conversation. What was he doing? The conversation that he began having with the woman at the well, he had an end to it. The end was his care for her. And when you listen to the conversation Christ has with her, some of the things he says to her probably did not make her feel good, but she could tell they were coming from someone who cared about her. 
And the end result was one of a father. You know, a lot of times I think we, uh, we take pride in the statement, well, I just tell it like it is. Do you know you can tell it like it is, but it doesn't mean you're telling it like it should be? There's a lot of things in life I can just tell it like it is, but just because I'm telling it like it is does not mean that I'm telling it in the way that it should be told. I mean, Christ could have went to the woman at the well and just told her like it was, and he knew. If there's anyone who knew about the woman at the well, it was him. And yet rather than just tell it like it is, he went up there with compassion for the woman. You see, he cared for her. His motivation was different. Oftentimes, I hate, I hate to say this, but I think we just want to get people told. We just want to get them told. They need to know who they are. They need to know where they stand. They need to know that they're out of line. Do they need to know that? Absolutely. But you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that speaking the truth in love. Notice the truth is not a club that we can go beat people down with. I love the fact that God says speak the truth in love. Look, truth has to be told. But truth is told within the vehicle of love. Do you know it's hard to club someone that you love? I've never clubbed anyone, but... I think if I love someone, they'd probably be the last people that I clubbed. You see, it shows our motivation. Tonight, we've got to ask why I want to say the things I want to say. And God says in verse number 29 that our speech should be motivated to be edifying. That when I open my mouth, I'm not saying what I want to say. I'm saying what's going to be edifying and constructive to the hearers. Now, how do you know that your conversation is constructive? He said, well, I think it's just constructive to tell them like it is. Well, God gives us some guidelines because if he left it up to us, we would all be wielding clubs, beating people down with the truth. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But watch this, but that which is good. One way that you know that your conversation is constructive and not destructive, it is a good conversation. You say, what do you mean by good? It is for their good. It's for their good. Constructive and building up of someone else means I am speaking and telling them something that's going to strengthen them. Look, uh, throughout the week, last week, weeks before, I have folks coming in and out of the office. I go to people's homes and I give counsel. That's part of the job of a pastor. And sometimes the counsel that I give them may not be something they want to hear, but I try to speak the truth in love. Why? Because I want them to be better. I'm trying to move them from where they are to where God would have them to be. And what a blessing it is, people seek out counsel. But how often do we take advantage of the vulnerable time that people are in and rather give them counsel that is good for them and going to better them, we pounce on it and club them over the head with the truth. So how do we know that we're edifying them in a constructive conversation? We ask the question, is it good? Is what I'm about to say for my good or for their good. The biggest times I've ever put my foot in my mouth were times where I said what I wanted to say. My wife, she's not amening, but she could right now. Times we would have a disagreement in our household. Times where I could have been the spiritual leader of my home and help better my wife and encourage my wife and speak something good that would be a blessing to her. Instead, I jumped on. My wife's a pretty good arguer. She really is. Uh, We both, I think, could have been lawyers. But from time to time, she would slip up, you know, like those court cases with Matt Locke or Perry Mason and uh, the prosecutor or the defense, you know, they would leave the door open. All of a sudden, the other lawyer jumps on top of that. You know, I've done that with my wife before. And you know, boy, it felt good to me. I got her. 
I won the argument. I got them told. And it felt good for about five minutes. And then the crushing blow of the Holy Spirit of God brings us back to verse 29 and says, that was not good. It may have felt good to you, but it was not good for them. So how do we know if we have a constructive conversation? Ask the question, is it good for the hearer? Keep reading, verse 29. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use. To the use. Now, what does the word use mean? The word use means meeting a need. Meeting a need. We talk to some of our missionaries sometimes, try to stay in touch with them as best we can. And we ask them, is there anything that you could use? You know, they're on a mission field. They don't have Walmarts and Lowe's at most mission fields, as far as I'm, I'm, uh, I understand. And uh, sometimes they have needs of things they can't get there. And so we ask them, could you use anything? What are we asking them? Do you have a need for anything? Is there anything that we can box up? A while back, I think it was last year, we had a missionary and uh, they had a few needs and uh, we boxed up a few things, uh, not only that they needed, but they want, I think some community coffee, uh, some Tabasco sauce, something like that. Something they couldn't get there. We tried to supply that need. Now notice what the Bible says. How do we know if our conversation's a constructive conversation? Well, it's meeting a need. It's meeting a need. Oftentimes, if we're not careful, we're going to say things that we need to say rather than meet their needs and the needs of their heart by the words that we say. So we should ask the question, do they need what I have to say? Do they need what I have to say? You say, yeah, I I think they need it. No, no, no. Do they really need it? Is it going to be useful for them? The Bible says use of edifying. We know what that one means. And then notice what it says, that it may minister grace. That it may minister grace. Boy, this one hit home with me today, particularly with all the division we have going on and everybody shouting at everybody. Everybody shouting at everybody. You know, it's hard to shout grace. It's so hard to shout grace and to shout grace at people. Notice the Bible says that it may be good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace. Oftentimes, I see grace a lot like a bridge. What does the Bible say? When we were lost... We were separated from God, but for by grace are you saved. Here I was over here, here was God over here, to the work of Christ on the cross at Calvary. It built a bridge of grace, all right? Grace is a lot like a bridge. It connects two places that are divided, all right? I crossed the Mississippi Bridge, just the other uh, river bridge the other day on the way to New Orleans, and you had one land, uh, land mass over here, one land mass over here, and someone went in there and they built a bridge connecting the two land masses that were divided by the river. All right? Grace is a lot like a bridge. It spans from where we are to where we need to be. The Bible says that we could, that we could. By the way, I want you to notice the very first word in verse 29. I want you to see this. It's the word let. That means you must allow it. That means you must sign off on it. You're not going to magically have constructive communication. You must let. You must allow it. Let your light shine. Allow your light to shine. But notice, we could use our words to build a bridge of grace. Right? What does grace do? It spans across a divide. 
It grabs hold of this side that's separated from this side, and grace brings them together. Grace is not a divider. Grace is a uniter. It brings you up to where you need to be. That's why Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says, I was over here. I persecuted the church. Listen, I put people in prison, and now look where I am at. How did Paul get from here to here? He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace bridged the gap. And oh, how I just think, look, I'm not saying we're all going to get in a big circle in America and sing Kumbaya and everything's going to be okay. But I do believe there's a lot of division in America tonight that could be healed if the people of God just use their words to speak grace. Because grace, grace will bridge across a division. And the Bible says that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grace reaches across a divide. How often, how often do we use our words to create a divide? Not helpful. Not helpful. We could be gracious in our speech. By the way, isn't that what our father did? Oh, he was up there on his throne in heaven. The Bible says that he looked down from heaven and he saw us captive. He saw us prisoner and he reached down to us through Christ and his work on the cross. What is that called? It's called grace. But for some reason, we think we have the right to create division as if we were higher than God. God set an example of grace to us. Why not minister grace through our words? The Bible says that it minister grace unto the hearers. Grace reaches across division. Not creates division. So I want to tell you this. When you're sitting there on your your computer or on your phone, probably most likely, and you're getting ready to post because you've been sitting there dwelling in all of the stuff going on in our world today. Boy, your heart is just stirred up and you're mad at this and you're mad at that and you're getting ready to post. And you know what you're about to post. It's not going to reach across the divide. It's going to push it even further apart. The Bible says that your communication should minister grace. To who? The Bible says to the hearers. To the hearers. He said, well, I'm an American. I have the right to my opinion. You do as an American, but you don't as a Christian. The Bible says, no, you're not, that you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Your words belong to him and should represent him. And he says, I want your words to be good and useful. I want them to edify. I want them to be gracious to the hearers. He says, use your words to build a bridge to the hearers. It's not for my benefit. And I got to tell you, I'll confess this to you as well tonight. Just, let's just have a confession time together. There have been many times I have sat down Pulled up my phone. I'm getting ready to post something on Facebook. Holy Spirit of God, ask me a quick question. Why? Why? Does he ever do that with anybody else? Why are you about to post that? We had a big day at our church in Monroe several years ago. I remember it very clearly. Big day, big numbers. The Lord's blessing our church. It's growing. And uh, man, I, I first pull out my phone, Brother Michael. I'm a phone, fixing the post on here. Big day. We had this many. Holy Spirit, that still small voice can be ever so loud at times. And he says, why? Why are you posting that? See, the Holy Spirit can go deep down within the reaches of our heart. Even though I'm saying, I'm just going to give the glory to God that we had over 100 people today. Holy Spirit says, that principle on the top is very thin. Below that principle, there's something very personal. Personal. 
Matter of fact, the driving force behind this post, it's not the principle of what God did. It's the personal, look what we had. And you know what I had to do? Delete, 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 delete. I don't know how many posts I've had to delete. I don't, I don't know how many times I've wanted to post something just for one person. Have you ever done that? You want to post something, you're smiling right now. You know it because you want to post something and you don't care who else sees it. There's one person that you're trying to get told through that quote that you're about to post. What's your motivation? Your motivation's not to edify or to give grace. Your motivation is to throw out a secret scud missile at them. God says, no, your motivation's not right. The Bible says that we should minister grace to the hearers, and we've got to let the Holy Spirit ask us the question of why. Why do you want to say what you want to say? And he gives us our motivation. It should be constructive, should minister grace unto the hearers. What's sad is I think the people of God were missing out on such a great opportunity to communicate. We have a great opportunity with social media, with our words. Everybody's voice has been amplified. You know, used to, at the end of the dirt road in Carson, Mississippi that I grew up on, I could state a truth and no one would hear it. But now, even at the end of that dirt road in Carson, Mississippi, when the clouds are not, you know, in your way, you can get a, you can get a post out from there and a lot of people can hear your voice that didn't normally hear your voice. And how sad it is we're missing the opportunity to use that voice to edify with constructive communication that ministers grace to the hearers, and yet we push our own personal agendas. So why are we saying what we're saying? Number one, God says, I want you to have a constructive communication. We've got to ask that question. Before I say it, before I post it, before I comment, is what I'm about to say going to be constructive or helpful? But then look what the Bible says in verse 29. We'll give you the second question to ask. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, this is quite interesting tonight. The word corrupt, I did a big word study on the word corrupt. It's, uh, the Greek is, uh, is quite enlightening. The second question you need to ask is this. Is it a corrupting communication? Before we speak, we ask the question, is what I'm about to say a constructive communication going to build up, edify, and minister grace to the hearer? I mean, you're talking about, he gives us an outline right there. It's pretty ironclad. Or is what I'm about to say, is it a corrupting communication? The Greek word for corrupt is this, S-E-P-O, sepo. Uh, Now, I love words, and immediately when I saw that word sepo, I saw the first three letters of that word, S-E-P. And Brother Michael, I began thinking, what words do I know that start with the letters S-E-P? You're right. Brother Michael just said the word septic. I thought to myself, man, that would make a great illustration, Brother Matthews, if that's what it meant, S-E-P. So go back and look at the etymology of the word sepo, and here's what it means, rotten or infectious. It is the root of our word septic or sepsis. That's where we get that word from. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail just in case some of you haven't eaten dinner yet, but all of us know what a septic tank is. It's not somewhere you want to hang out. It's not somewhere that you want to visit often. Uh, In construction, I've had to visit a few of those. As a 15-year-old preacher's kid, there were several times the widows needed help, and I was just of the age and the ability to go and help with their septic tank. And, oh, those things can be nasty. 
The Bible says that our communication should not be corrupt or septic. Here's what he's saying. Let no rotten, contaminated, or infectious communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, notice the language that God is using here. Either we're having a constructive conversation or we are having a corrupting conversation and there's really no gray area on the, in the middle. And God says, don't let anything corrupt or infectious or rotten proceed out of your mouth. Now, this is something we all should be able to relate to right now because even in stores in Hattiesburg, we're still having to wear masks. Now, why are they telling us to wear masks? Uh, you know, I got I to tell you this, it's hilarious. I went to get a haircut, obviously, and I got a good one yesterday. And uh, I'm sitting there in the barbershop with my mask on in there. And evidently, the, uh, the person cutting my hair was an Alabama fan because I had my LSU mask on. And they just ripped right through the strap on the side of it. And cut my, they cut my mask off. I mean, uh, a silent protest. I guess that's exactly what that was. But you wear the mask. Why are we wearing the mask? What's the phrase? Stop the spread. Stop the spread. They don't want you spewing out any infectious germs out of your mouth. Now, whether the masks work or whether they don't work, that's what they're telling us to do. And here's what God's telling us to do. We need a spiritual mask on. Make sure that no corrupt or infectious or rotten communication comes out of our mouth. That's how we stop the spread of sin, all right? Can I tell you something tonight? The most dangerous thing that has ever proceeded out of the mouth of mankind was not on the back of a virus. It was on the back of our voice. Our voice can be the most destructive force in nature, death, and life, corrupting or constructive. That's why we've got to make sure that nothing is allowed to leave our mouth that's going to corrupt the hearer. Jesus says in Matthew 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 11, listen close, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth a man. Notice he says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles him, that which is corrupting. Something interesting, you look at the word defile and the word corrupt, they basically have the same meaning. And you find that word defile mentioned in the Old Testament abundantly, in particular when it involves the tabernacle and the temple. God says, I do not want anything in my tabernacle or my temple that defiles He says the word defile basically means profane or not acceptable to be in the temple. It's not temple worthy. Now the Bible's telling us here that no corrupt communication proceeds out of our mouth. That we should not speak things that defile. Now defiling means not temple worthy. Folks, I think a lot of what we say is not temple worthy. It's defiling and it's corrupting. And the Bible says, if any man defile the temple, 1 Corinthians 3, 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Now here's what we're thinking. I am so thankful we don't worship the temple in the temple anymore. Whew. But wait a minute. At the end of that verse says this, which temple ye are. We are now the temple And God is just as serious today about having things that defile in this temple as he was in that temple. We are the temple of God. And he says, I don't want corrupt or defiling things in the temple or coming out of the temple. So how do we know what makes us corrupt? What is it that causes our communication to become corrupt? I'll give you this, and I want you to remember this. This is important. When we substitute personal feelings for principles of faith, 
when we substitute personal feelings for principles of faith. Now watch. God gave us principles in his word in the Old Testament for what defiled and corrupted the temple. He says, here's the principles. Live by these. Don't fudge. Okay? Don't fudge. Well, today the word of God gives us principles about this temple. But how often do we interject personal feelings over the principles of faith because that's what we want to do. And the reason I get myself in trouble with my mouth oftentimes is because I'm not abiding by the principles of the temple. I rather am abiding by my personal feelings. I think they need to get told. There's only been about three times in my life that I can go back to where I just got somebody told. But I can remember them. I just felt like they needed to be told. Somebody needed to set them straight. Somebody needed to get them in line. And so I just took it upon myself to do that. And I'll tell you this, I had to leave behind the principle of my faith and I abided by personal feelings and I stuck my foot down my throat as far as it could go. And I regretted it. And I had to go back and apologize for not being the type of Christian that I was supposed to be. This afternoon I was doing some reading about Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church. How convenient it was, Joseph Smith was a womanizer. Do your history, you'll find it out. He had over 40 wives. Now, I think the principles of our faith speak out against that. I think so, isn't it right? I think there's something in here about having more than one wife. You know, I think 40 has probably crossed a line somewhere. And so he could not live according to the principles of his faith. And so he decided, you know what? I'm just going to write my own religion that will allow me to have as many wives as I want. So he wrote his own religion. They called it the plural marriage revelation. He got a revelation from God that said it's all right for you to have more than one wife. And we're sitting back and we're laughing. We're thinking, I bet you did. I bet you did. He just wrote his own Bible. Why? Because he did not want to abide by the principles of faith. And so he decided to write a new Bible based on his personal feelings. We're sitting back. I just can't believe somebody would do that. And how much of a heretic must you be? The exact same amount of heretic we are. When we speak based on personal feeling rather than by the principles of our faith, which God outlines for which he would have the temple to be about. The Bible says no, no corrupt communication. Proceed out of your mouth. Notice he says no. He says no. God's pretty emphatic. Don't let it proceed. Now, when God tells you to let something or not to let something, listen, you understand he's telling us we have the ability to let or not to let. When he tells us to let our light shine, that means we have the ability to let that happen. So when he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth, he's telling us something that we can do. Because here's what will happen. If you're not careful, you'll allow your principles to get infected by your personals. Okay? You'll let your principles get infected by your personals. So what do you mean by that? Well, you'll let what you know God said be influenced by what you think and how you feel, and you've just infected your principles with your personals. And usually it ends up tearing it all down. I'll give me an example of that real quickly. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Listen close. The Bible says we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Notice, the Bible says we have a sure word of prophecy. That means established and set. Whereunto ye do dwell, that ye take heed. What is he saying? Take heed on what is sure and what is established. 
as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. No prophecy of Scripture is of any. Notice the words no and any. God's just being so emphatic that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. What does that mean? It means leave principles alone. Don't start interjecting personals into God's principles. If you want to live a life that fulfills the will of God, that you hear well done when you stand before God, live by the principles of our faith and not by our personal feelings. Because as soon as you interject personal feeling into principles, you've infected it, and now it's going to be corrupting. We see that in the Word of God. Went to Books a Million the other day to get a couple of books for our daughter. And it's amazing how many Bibles there are, or they call them Bibles. It's amazing how God said so many different things. Uh, one of them is called The Message. Boy, that's a funny one. Genesis 1.1 says, first this, there is an inky black darkness. I think, wow, God kind of had a hip lingo when he wrote that. My Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You keep reading these Bibles, and you'll find out that, man, there's things taken out, and there's things added to. You begin to notice a trend that the things that were taken out in a lot of these Bibles are kind of important. Things like the blood and the virgin birth. You begin to look and realize there is an ulterior motive going on here. You see, rather than wanting to live by the principles of our faith, they couldn't live inside the box of that. And so they started privately interpreting it for themselves and interjecting personal feeling. But as soon as you interject your personal feeling into the principles of our faith, you just infected it and you just corrupted it. And that's why it's not the pure, infallible words of God. As a child of God tonight, I have the opportunity to speak either constructive words or corrupting words. And I want you to know that so often when we interject our opinions, rather than speak based on the principles of verse 29, verse 29 is not a suggestion. They're principles of our faith. No corrupt communication, but that which is good to, good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace. That's the principles. Live, speak, and operate by those. Do not start speaking based on your personal feelings. Why? Because that is corrupting. And I'll tell you something. If there's anything we learn about this virus, whether it's been blown out of proportion or not, it's spread all over the world. And boy, it has entered every part of our life. It's just that little bitty, tiny, minuscule germ that none of us can see has just corrupted everything. I read a story I want to read for you today. In February, doctors were forced to partially amputate all four of Marguerite Henderson's limbs after she developed sepsis from a tiny paper cut. The 50-year-old British grandmother spent three weeks in a medically induced coma a specialist fought to save her life. She noticed a tiny paper cut on her index finger of her right hand. It was minuscule. She didn't even remember getting it. It was just a paper cut. That paper cut cost her having all four of her limbs amputated. What happened? On that paper somewhere that she was cut with, there was a tiny little germ, and that little germ slowly began to corrupt all of her body. 
Well, folks, our language can be even more deadly and dangerous if we don't allow the Holy Spirit of God to ask you one simple question before we speak, why? Why do you want to say that? Why do you want to post that? Why do you want to comment on that? Holy Spirit says, I want to ask you one quick question. Is it constructive conversation or is it corruptive conversation? He said the principles of faith are right there in verse number 49. Don't start interjecting your personal feelings because you just infected the principles and it's going to be corrupting. The Bible says that we should speak that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. James 3.5 tells us, we read it the other day, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts this great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I can tell you that for a fact, how many times my mouth has gotten me in trouble. And it was when I decided to speak my personal feelings rather than speak out of the principles of my faith. I decided to say what I wanted to say because that's what I wanted to hear rather than what they needed to hear. And oh, what a great fire was kindled because of that. Right outside, not far from our church in Louisiana, there was a Smokey the Bear sign. And uh, that Smokey the Bear was holding this little placard that you could change out from day to day. And it would show you the risk of fire for the day. It would say low, medium, high, based on how dry it was or whether it had been rain or whatnot. And so as we went down the the road there, not far from uh, Tillman's Tire, we'd see that there. And it would say, uh, risk of fire, he'd be holding the high sign. And that meant you better not be throwing matches or cigarettes out your window, things like that. You better be very, very careful because the risk is very high. And sometimes we'd go through there and it'd been a deluge of rain. It rained there, it seemed like a lot, more than here it seems like. And uh, he would be holding the sign, it would say, risk of fire low. Uh, you would know it was okay to throw matches out the window then. <laughs> no, you really need to do that then, but you didn't have to be as careful. It wasn't as dangerous at the time. And I thought this afternoon how, uh, how the Holy Spirit is a lot like that in my life. Uh, get ready to say something. The words pop up in your head, and they're, they're making their way from your head or from your heart up to your mouth, and they get in the loading bay, and they're getting ready to be launched out. You ought to stop just a moment. Stop. Study before you answer, and look at the Holy Spirit like holding that sign, and he's going to let you know whether those words have a high risk of setting a fire that, that gets out of hand or a, a low risk. He's going to ask you why. And I believe tonight, as the people of God, we realize our words have weight. Our words have weight. And we just need to ask the question, why? Why do I feel the need to say this? And is it according to the principles of my faith or my personal feelings? And I assure you, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, you'll say, you'll say things that are constructive, that edify and they minister grace to the hearers. And their words are not going to damage our testimony. Right now, I believe our country needs that more than anything. Our heads are bowed tonight and eyes are closed.